I uh, am generally inclined to believe that everything that I read on the internet is a lie. Uh, and so when something comes across my desk, uh, I, I don't take the word of the internet. I dig and dig and dig until from multiple sources I can determine that this is a legit thing. Such was the experience I had about a month ago. I, I happened to across a study by a group called the Positive Psychology Center. Now that alone heightened my suspicion. That sounded like the shadiest deal I'd ever heard of in my life, like somebody made that up somewhere. But it turns out it's a group that is associated with the University of Pennsylvania, and they did a study just recently where they were trying to see if there could be any determination made regarding the psychological well-being and the physical well-being of persons by analyzing, wait for it, their Facebook posts, all right? And so they, they enlisted 75,000 volunteers. They did a, a deep dive into 700 million words across 19 million Facebook posts. And um, at the end of all of that, they thought, well, I don't know. But, but they were able to um, find out how, how word usage takes place uh, on the Internet and on Facebook in particular. And they generated these things called word clouds. How many people are familiar with what word clouds are? Several of you are. Word clouds are those things you see when you see these groupings of words and their various sizes. Um, it's a way to try to visualize uh, word frequency in a book or, or on, on Facebook posts. And, and they generated all of these word clouds, and then they kind of uh, spread them out and say, okay, well, if you're this age, what does your word cloud look like? And this age, what does your word cloud look like? And then they did the thing that was most intriguing to me. They said, by gender, what does your word cloud look like? Turns out that the most excited, or excuse me, the, the most used word by women is the word excited. I'm excited. Excited about this, I'm excited about this, excited about this. If I'm lying, I'm dying. The, the most used word on Facebook by men was, to put it in the words of Ralphie from the Christmas story, the queen mother of all dirty words. Can you imagine? I couldn't believe it until I saw it myself. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, it turns out that women use words that tend to be emotive, and the most popular words that men used were swear words. So good job, guys. That is that's fantastic. Yeah, you've got a lot to be you've got a lot to be proud of there. Um, the reason I, I found that study is I was looking for a, a thing called the Blue Letter Bible. How many people have heard of the Blue Letter Bible? A few of you, all right? Uh, the Blue Letter Bible generates word clouds for the various books of the Bible um, so that you can go to that website. Not now because I asked you to put your phone away. Uh, but you can go to that website and you can look at particular books of the Bible and you can see the word cloud that was generated for them. Now. The, the two most popular words that show up in all of the New Testament books anyway are the word God and the word Jesus. Now, that should not surprise us. But when you get to 1 John and the writings of John, one of the, the words that shows up a lot for him is the word abide. And that really shouldn't surprise us. 
The word abide occurs in our New Testament 44 times. And John is responsible for 40 of those times. 40 of the 44 times that word is used, John is the one pinning him. For him, it was a very important word. Now, I think most of us have a general idea of what it means. It means to to just rest in and to be secure in, and frequently the object of the word abide is Christ. And for me personally, that has become a very important devotional word. At key times in my life, when I have had an impatient spirit, looking not for where I was at the moment, but looking ahead to what might be ahead, God has used the word abide in key passages of Scripture to just calm that, that anxious, calm that uh, restless, calm that excitable spirit, the word abide. And it has been, I think, for a lot of people, a very helpful word in the passages that are contained, uh, that contain that word have been very helpful. But John today, in just two verses, is going to latch onto that word and, and give us just really three very quick summary statements of the benefit of that word to you. And I, I want us to, to see that by going through, again, just two verses today. If you would please look at verse 26 of John, 1 John chapter 2. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So now the first thing you're going to have to figure out when you're reading that verse is to figure out what are the these things. He says, I'm writing these things. What are the these things? And the these things that he is referencing is the instruction that he has been giving since verse 18. Between verses 18 and verse 25, John has, has been laboring to warn uh, the people to whom he is writing to be on guard and to be on lookout for those who once claimed to be a part of their community of believers, a part of their church, who had since begun to teach something that departed from the original message that John had given them. Go back again to the very first of the book. John is saying, I am here to, to share with you what was from the beginning, what I told you from the beginning about the Jesus who I've heard, who I've seen with my own eyes, who I've touched with my hands. I'm, I'm writing you to cons- about, about that particular Jesus. And the people that had gone out from them were teaching something different about that Jesus. Now, it's impossible for us to really know exactly what the, the exact nature of that teaching was, but it seems that the very best guess as to what they were teaching was that somehow um, Jesus had been born a normal, regular person who had become, and this is the best word I can think of for it, possessed by God at his baptism, and then before uh, his his, his crucifixion, the Spirit of God left him. So he was born a man, he died a man. Now here's the problem with that. If you take the divine out of the totality of the life of Jesus, if you do not acknowledge, as John had taught them from the beginning, that Jesus preexisted as the eternal God, that he had robed himself in flesh and dwelt among them, and that he suffered as God and was resurrected as God, the thing which makes us Christians in the first place, which is the cross and the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross, suddenly loses all meaning. It loses all meaning because by having God on the cross, 
you see two similar uh, things that seem dis completely dissimilar coming together. You see on the cross in a suffering God for the benefit of our sin, a God who is at once both holy and a God who is merciful, a God who is a God of justice and a God who is a God of love. If you lose the divinity of Christ from start to finish, you lose any meaning in the cross. And he's writing to them. He's saying, I don't think you've believed this. That's not what I think. I don't think you believe this. But I'm writing you so that you don't. And the reason he's doing that is because he understood that false teaching never stays by itself. When a false teacher rises up, the first thing they want to do is bring others along with them to disastrous consequences. The, the most prevalent false teaching that you and I are going to encounter day in, day out in Johnson County, the, the most prominent departure from Orthodox Christianity that you and I will encounter in Johnson County is Mormonism, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In 1815, or excuse me, in 1815, I think it was 1815, I know he was 15 years old. When Joseph Smith was 15 years old, he received a vision from God where he was told in this vision that all modern expressions of the church were completely corrupt. At 18, he was in a vision given access to some golden tablets that contained the means to correct the modern church. By age 25, he had translated these golden tablets into what is today their scriptures, the, uh, the, the Book of Mormon, uh, the Book of Doctrines and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, which are their, are their scriptures. And by the time he died, 14 years later at 39, literally thousands had followed him into that deception. And now, well over 150 years after his death, millions have. False teaching never remains by itself. And so John is saying, I know you haven't believed this, but you're hearing about it so much. If you don't, if you don't hang on to something solid, you could give in to it. I'm writing you so that you will not be deceived. And then he says this in verse 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. I received my formative education at a K-8 through school out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I remember in eighth grade, Miss Moore teaching me how to diagram a sentence. If a gun was to my head, I could not diagram at verse 27. I mean, that is a complex, there's a lot going on there. But in order for me to be able to, to digest things like this, I, I have to take it in bite-sized pieces. So let's take verse 27 in bite-sized pieces and see what there is here to see. First, first little piece. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. The anointing you receive from him, there's that word, abides, remains in you. So what is the anointing? Well, here's the thing about John. He's a little fluid with his understanding of it, even just in chapter 2. Go back to, to verse 20 of 1 John chapter 2. Verse 20 of 1 John chapter 2. Here's where that word's used. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. 
verse 20, uh, verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. To simplify things, John is saying that you have been anointed by the Holy One, a reference to the Holy Spirit, and as a result of that, the expression of that is knowledge. Here's, here's how he's using it in those two verses. He is using the idea of anointing as a reference to the content of the gospel, the, the message that Jesus saves. That anointing is, is a reference to the content of the gospel message, that which he heard and, and which he saw and which he touched. That is what he's referencing by anointing there. But when you get to, to verse 27, he speaks of an anointing that you received that abides in you. And here the lines are blurring a little bit to where the best understanding is that John is saying not only have you received the content of the gospel message, you have also received the author of the gospel message. The Holy One actually resides in you so that within you, you have both the gospel and the means to have that gospel illuminated by the author who lives in you. So it's a reference here actually to, to the Holy Spirit. So it's the content. He uses the word anointing as, as a reference to the content of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And, and by doing that, he's saying you don't need anything else. You don't need some kind of new information about Jesus because you've got everything you need. That's why he says what he says in the second bite-sized piece. You have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, here's how I've heard that verse used by people who like fishing. They say, well, see, it says right there in the Bible, I don't need anybody to teach me. So I can do whatever I want to. I don't have to come to church anymore. I can, I can just sit there and I can contemplate the, the mysteries of the universe, whether I'm fishing or whether I'm hunting or doing whatever I like doing. I don't need anybody to tell me what to think. This is how we know the first Christians were Baptist. They, they didn't need anybody to tell them what they think. But, but here's how I know that's not what he's saying. He keeps writing. Right? I mean, think about it. If he says, and so the conclusion of my argument, you don't need anybody teaching you anything else. See ya, I'm out. That's, that's the natural conclusion you would reach if that's what he really meant. But he continues to teach them. So he is plainly not saying to them, you don't need teaching. What he is drilling down into is, is that because you've been given the gospel message of Jesus Christ and because you have the Holy Spirit of God to illuminate that, you do not need any more information about Jesus to correct what is given you and in you already. You don't need this at all. So what we are being told here is that we need to be on high alert anytime someone says, I've discovered something new about, about God. Here's how you can tell the difference between someone like Joseph Smith, who founded Mormonism, and someone like Martin Luther, who is the father of the Protestant Reformation. Joseph Smith led people away from the gospel message to something else. Martin Luther pointed people who had wandered from it back to it. That's how you know the difference primarily. It's the first thing you need to do if you think, I wonder if what this person is teaching me is false. Are they pointing us back to the Word and illuminating what's there, or are they leading me away from it? 
This is what he means when he says, you don't need anyone or anything else other than what you have been given. And now the last bite-sized piece. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, the gospel has been given you as the anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, he says, abide in him. Abide in him. As you reflect with the interplay of the Spirit on the gospel message that you have been given, and your attention goes to Christ, abide in Christ. Remain in Jesus. So here's the, here's the simplified way of getting to the heart of what could be two very complicated verses. John is saying, abide in the Word of God so that you can abide in the Son of God. Pay attention to the gospel message. Sink your roots deeply into it, and in doing so, you will abide in him, the Son of God. That is what these two verses are teaching us in their simplest form. And here are the three main benefits that we are given as a result of that truth. Abide in the Word of God so that you can abide in the Son of God. First, this. Abide and be safe. Abide and be safe. Remember, he is deeply concerned that these people might hear these false teachers and begin to think, you know, that sounds reasonable to me. That sounds good to me and wander off from it. But he says, if you abide in the truth that you've already been given, you will abide in Jesus. And if you abide in the truth that you've already been given, you will abide in Jesus and you'll be safe from the wandering off that I'm laboring to keep you from. You know what the biggest danger is to the modern American Christian? It is not something that's external. We always, because we're entrenched and we're panicked by our culture as modern Christians, we always tend to think that the biggest threat to our faith is something external. And that drove ministry for decades in America. I was a youth minister for 10 years, and as I've told you before, I was a very entertaining, very terrible youth minister for 10 years. And in that era of youth ministry life, the goal was to get kids there. Let's just call them into the holy huddle and let's eat pizza and let's have fun and let's do all of these different kinds of activities because the threat's out there. And if we can just get them in here and attach to what's in here, they won't be affected by what's out there, except that it didn't work. And, and these very entertained kids got to college with no grounding in the Word of God, which reveals the Son of God, and they never came back. No, the biggest threat to us is not, is not external. The biggest threat is internal, and it's this, inattentiveness. We just give no time to sinking our roots, to plunging our lives deeply into the Word of God, which in turn leads us to abide in the Son of God and keep us safe. I have never yet met a person who has departed from an orthodox understanding of Christianity who was sinking their mind and heart 
deeply into the Word of God and deeply into the person of Christ and who had a healthy relationship with the local church, which is the means of accountability we have to say, am I reading this right? When those three things exist, someone who's passionately pursuing the Word of God, passionately pursuing an engaged relationship with Christ, and they're in a healthy relationship with the local church, they never depart. I've just not ever seen it. In 34 years of doing gospel ministry, I have never seen it. But when one of those things goes away, when you fail to abide in Christ by engaging these things, you're in danger. Something will come along that sounds good, something that you'll see on the internet or hear from some, some hack preacher, and off you go. Abide and be safe. Next, abide and be satisfied. Satisfied in what? Satisfied in the word you have been given, that which brought you to Christ in the first place. Understand that this is all you need. I am frequently asked by people, what is the, what is the best resource that you can recommend to me to grow in my faith? And I'll go, well, there's the Bible. And, and I'm not saying that to be obnoxious or sarcastic, even though I am deeply obnoxious and sarcastic. <laughs> I am saying it because it's true. How do I know it's true? Do you remember we were in 2 Timothy last fall, if you're a part of Blue Valley Baptist Church? And we came to a, a passage of Scripture in, um, in the book of 2 Timothy where we were told something by Paul about the very nature of the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, All Scripture, all of it, breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent for most things. No! Every! Every! What is Paul saying? He's saying that the scriptures that you have available to you, and by that time it was not just the Old Testament, it was starting to be the things that you and I would come to understand as the New Testament, those things that you have been given are sufficient for everything. So be satisfied in that. Look, books are great. I recommend books to you all the time. If you come to my office over across the street, there on the corner are my book hall of fame, books that I recommend to people all the time and that I've read frequently. Books are important, but they pale in comparison to this. Jesus Calling's great, I guess. I've never read it. Um, what's the other thing, John? What's the book of Puritan Prayers? What's that thing called? Valley Vision. Thank you. You had two middle-aged men going, uh. <laughs> Valley of Vision. Great. But if I lost everything and only had this, I'd have enough. Abide in it. Be satisfied in it so you can be satisfied in Jesus. Here's the third thing that, that John is telling us here. Abide and be secure. Listen, he's warned them. He's going to continue to warn them about the threats that exist to them deviating. And that, that leads them naturally as they hear this, well, how do I know I'm not going to go away? 
How do I know I won't give in and follow? And every time he lets them get to the point of entertaining that thought, he comes back to them and, and says, you're not going there. And in this passage, he says, you're not going there because if you abide in the word of God, the truth that I've given you, you will abide in him and you'll be safe. Be satisfied in this and you'll be safe. Be satisfied in, in God's word and in the person of Jesus and you're secure. You're protected from that wandering away. So now what? What do we do with all of this? Besides saying amen and that's good and, uh, you know, who can we beat to the restaurant? What do we do with it? Well, here's, here's what I know. Here's what I know. It, it, is, it, is, uh, it is trumpeted in almost everything I read about the modern church. I know that, that the vast majority of you are right now spending the only time in God's Word that you've spent all week. Remember I said the biggest threat's in it being inattentive. I know that the vast majority of modern evangelical Christians are right now spending their only time that they will spend in the Word here in this very moment. And what we need to do, according to John, is abide in the knowledge of the truth, the Word. And in doing so, we are able to abide in Jesus. Here's also what I know. I know that a good many of people who are professing Christians, if you let them get honest, will express a low-grade dissatisfaction with Christianity. Now, it's too ingrained in your culture and you have too many relationships to just give up on it. But always in the back of your head, you're saying, this just doesn't seem to be doing for me what I was always promised it was going to do. So you're spending the only time right now that you've spent all week in God's Word and you're dissatisfied. So, so what can we do to correct all of that, to abide so that we can be safe and satisfied and secure? What can we do? Well, let me give you... A, a challenge. If you don't have currently some kind of devotional practice where you're spending regular time in the Word of God, let me give you a 28-day challenge, four weeks. So for the next four weeks, between today and whatever that day rep represents out in, in March, um, I want to give you a 28-day challenge. Here it is. I want you to spend time every day reading one chapter from Matthew. It's got 28 chapters. I want you to spend time reading one chapter from Matthew every day so that you can begin to engage the Word. And remember, though, we're doing more than just reading the Word. We are engaging in relationship with the Holy Spirit, that Word, so that we can come to know and rest and abide in Christ. So how's that going to work? I've shared this a lot. I want to share it with you again. Don't just read the Word. Pray the Word. Pray as you read. Have a conversation with God about the word as you read it. And you're saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so tomorrow morning, you're going to grab your Bible and you're going to open it up. Read chapter 1 of Matthew and it's a genealogy. <laughs> and the preacher lied to me. I have uh, been fond over the last several years of creating for myself and helping other people create what I call a spiritual workout plan. So here, here's how... Here's my plan for staying spiritually healthy for a given year, 2020 being this year. Here's my, part of my spiritual workout plan 
for 2020. It is this year, I, I've read the Bible multiple times. This year, I want to pray the entire New Testament. So I'm taking the New Testament in some bite-sized chunks and praying as I go. So that's my plan. Super excited about my plan. I open up my Bible. There's a genealogy. But here's what immediately began to happen for me. I began to see how, how God used those people, and I remembered the events in their lives from the Old Testament, those that are known to us, and saw how all of that weaved and ultimately found their way in Jesus. And suddenly I found myself praying, God, I thank, th I thank you and praise you that all parts of human history ultimately find their end in Jesus. And if that's true of human history, that is true of me. All of the ins and outs of my life ultimately are going to culminate in Jesus. And so I gave God praise through prayer that all things end in Jesus. You can pray the word. And it changes your experience with it because it's not just reading it. It is engaging the spirit to sink your roots deeply in Jesus as you go. So there's the challenge. Let's see what happens if you're not currently engaged in any kind of devotional reading. Let's see what happens when we spend part of our day in the Word of God. And let's see if when we get 28 days later, if we have not started to understand that by abiding in the Word, we're abiding in Jesus. And let's see if our experience with the Christian faith doesn't start to feel something that is more safe, satisfied, and secure. Abide in the word so you can abide in Jesus. That's John's word to us today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.